This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Catherine Nestor, Chief Product and Technology Officer at Ruby Receptionists. Then I think too, just the dynamics and the, the changes in the industry, we've gotten so much more global with things like the internet that has certainly allowed us to reach much more globally. But at the same time too, we've also, all this technology has a tendency to kind of isolate us as well. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Catherine Nestor, Chief Product and Technology Officer at Ruby Receptionists. It's no accident Catherine found her way to Ruby. Her career has focused on working for companies that value and support human connections, including roles in product management at Ancestry.com and AAA. Her desire to restore the human connection in our increasingly technological world comes with a top-notch pedigree, including a degree in computer science from UC Berkeley and an MBA from Oxford University. She brings the perfect combination of passion and experience to lead the evolution of Ruby's product and service. Catherine, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you, Jordan. I'm excited for the opportunity. It's going to be a great conversation. Oh, absolutely. And before diving into these insights that I'm excited to dig in with you, I like to spend just a little time understanding your perspective and what makes you tick. And I think this really helps shape your point of view when digging in deeper throughout the episode. So what shapes my perspective is I'm really passionate about learning how and why things work. Even back to my childhood, I loved solving complex puzzles and looking for patterns and everything that I did. And I still even do this to today because I'm also very purpose-driven. I use this passion to pursue pre-med in college in order to you know, make an impact and help people. But the purpose of wanting to help as many people as possible, this really outweighed how I actually did it. And this evolved into a fascination about how mobile technology can solve problems at scale. So what is it that you're most passionate about in your profession, Catherine? I've been in technology for most of my career and looking at technology, and I'm really fascinated by the challenge of taking technology, which usually is a way to automate out the human element um, or the human interaction in a process or an experience, and looking at it instead as a way to expand that reach. So sort of like you, you just mentioned, how can mobile kind of expand the ability to help people out? I like to look at technology and say, okay, this is really interesting, but how can we use it to smartly automate the places where having a human interaction or a human connection doesn't really add a lot of value to the experience or to the customer, or perhaps even makes it a better experience for the customer, and then take that resource you have now freed up from that particular part of the experience to inject the human interaction and the human connection in another part of the product or the service or the customer journey where it really will have an impact. That for me, I'm really lucky because that's right aligned with Ruby's mission, which is about preserving and perpetuating real meaningful connections and our increasingly automated and technology-driven world. It's my job as the chief product and technology officer to figure out, okay, how do I use technology to help us do something which is people-driven and not necessarily technology-driven. Um, mm. So I'm passionate about that and seeing how technology can be a way for us to expand the reach of human connection and meaningful connections as opposed to completely eliminating them. 
So what shaped that for you? It, was it something in your upbringing? Was it something that you evolved into, you know, throughout your journey? What, what created that for you? So I think it was something that has evolved throughout my journey. As a kid, I've always been in, interested in computers and technology. And my dad is a computer engineer. So, you know, back in the days of punch cards before there was computer science as a major and all of that. And so my house always had the latest computer equipment, you know, whether that was a Radio Shack TRS-80 or dot matrix printer or good old fashioned modem where you actually had to pick up the handset and put it into the thing to make it work. That technology has always been there. And so I've always been fascinated by what it can do and how, how you interact with it. And I think I started out life as a programmer and got my undergraduate degree in computer science and sort of followed that through. But as I looked more and more about what we were doing with technology and how we were building things out, then I think too, just the dynamics and the, the changes in the industry, we've gotten so much more global with things like the internet that has certainly allowed us to reach much more globally. But at the same time, too, we've also, all this technology has a tendency to kind of isolate us as well. You can easily sit at your house now and never go out and have everything delivered to you. So I, I just got interested in what that meant from a, from a society level and from a customer experience level. Like, what does that really do for your customer's experience of your product? So it kind of was starting with that interest and fascination with technology. And then as I got more experience, worked out in the world, worked internationally, starting to think about how we could use it differently to kind of broaden that connection between people as opposed to just eliminating it. You know, and I think this was really common in talking to technologists, having a background where their parents or an environment that they were raised in that just had access to technology to kind of shape that. I think kind of the, the interesting thing to your journey, though, and, and the perspective that you have is how you're able to empathize with the user in such an intimate way. And this human element that you consider, what created that for you? Because you didn't really go down the heads down software engineer path. You more kind of evolved that even into more of this human connection component. So I guess what created that for you? So I did, I did actually start out and do some programming. So I, I graduated with a degree in computer science and was a software engineer for a brief stint at Hewlett Packard. But I think I was just more drawn to the decision-making processes that people were making inside the organization. And I moved from being a developer into project management, which drove me to get my master's in business. And I did that over in England. And I had, I think that was one of the turning points for me actually was looking at business internationally at Oxford in this MBA program where we had a very small cohort of students. It was about 76 and there were probably 30-ish different countries represented. And so we got to learn a lot from each other about the way business was conducted in different countries and in different ways. And it was just sort of fascinating to see how different trends played out in the different countries and how technology was being used differently in different countries. And, you know, so much of that was driven by the culture of the country. I, I remember a fascinating debate in one of our econ classes about barter economies and, you know, what those looked like. And we had two or three people from various regions of the world who were able to say, oh, we have a barter economy and this is how it functions. And so I got really fascinated. I think that was the turning point for me where I got really fascinated about how all the other external things in the people and the culture impact the way systems and technology and products and services are being developed. 
Mm, very cool. And the, the effectiveness of them, which I can see that translating to actually you being that engineer minded person, how you're developing and creating. So that's really cool. Transitioning to Ruby then. I love Ruby receptionist, by the way. I used it before for a couple of my own companies being a serial entrepreneur. Nice. <laughs> for those of us who may not know what Ruby is, can you give us a quick description of who you guys are and what you do? Sure. So we are a remote receptionist service, which means we answer the phone live for about just under 7,000 small businesses across North America, including Canada and a few in Puerto Rico even. And we do that all from Portland and we have two receptionist centers. And so it is a real live human being who is answering the call for these small business owners. And that allows us to make really great first impressions for those businesses. It allows smaller businesses to make sure they never miss a call. It's really interesting when you actually look at the research. I don't have the specific research data in front of me at the moment. I should probably grab that. But it's something like 60 to 70% of people will hang up if they get a voicemail greeting. Or if they don't get somebody live, we'll sort of work their way down the list for uh, a new service provider when it comes to something like uh, construction or real estate or those types of things, or even attorneys. And so having somebody live answering the phones um, does a lot to help those small businesses grow and capture those opportunities. So we do that all here from Portland. We do that using some proprietary software that we've built internally that allows us to really customize the experience for each of our customers so that their callers get information that's relevant and pertinent to them and allows us to have any of our receptionists answer for any of those uh, customers. And then we have two customer-facing applications, both a mobile app and a customer-facing website that allows our customers to interact with the service and to see all that information that we've collected for them and the messages that they've gotten. You know, so being that you focus a lot on product and technology, we'll probably spend a fair amount of time on the software side, but I definitely want to just commend uh, Ruby for how amazing that service is as well. It's, you know, beyond what the technology enables, everyone that I've interacted with at Ruby are just so chipper. I have no idea how you find these people. These people are just on the next level of excitement always, every day. Yeah, and that is really a lot of the secret sauce. So we certainly have really nailed down and figured out how to hire the right people for this job. It's not an easy job. They take calls from disgruntled and frustrated people. So you do have to be resilient to continue to provide that upbeat and chipper experience. But, you know, something that our founder and CEO, Jill Nelson, sort of inherently got before there's been a lot of research about it, and now there is a lot of research, is that the culture in which your employees work has a direct impact on the service they deliver to your customers. And so culture is one of the first and foremost things that we look at and take care of here at Ruby. So we have our core values that we recognize and award every quarter, and they're things like foster happiness, practice wowism, grow, create community, and innovate. And these are really all shaped around creating an environment in which we encourage our employees to grow and thrive and foster happiness and create that community. And so that environment really has an impact. Our employees feel supported. They're encouraged to go the extra mile for our customers. They're rewarded when they do that. And that truly has an impact on the service that we deliver. And it's funny now because service design is one of the sort of newer-ish trends in user experience design and customer experience design. And it's this 
philosophy of looking at the customer journey and all the different touch points along the way and what's sort of front of stage that the customer's interacting with and what's backstage. And in the research they've done around service design and companies that adopt this practice, the one of the number one outcomes that they've seen is that the culture in which your employees work has a direct impact on the service they deliver. So thank you for that. I'm glad to hear that that is um, continuing to shine through. And that's actually, that was probably the biggest challenge presented to me when I joined Ruby was, okay, we nailed it on the service delivery. We know wow-worthy service. That's what we're known for. But our digital experience for our customers is not up to that same level of uh, wow-worthiness. So Catherine, your remit is to get our customer-facing digital experiences up to that same level. Very interesting. Well, it sounds like there's definitely a method to the madness as you were describing it with comprehending the front stage and backstage and how those are interconnected and all of us stemming from customer experience and employee mapping and really just understanding those journeys. And so I think that it would be really interesting actually to dig in a little bit more to understand this information flow across the organization and maybe even understand some of the different teams and how those are organized internally. So Ruby these days is about 420 employees, which has been pretty impressive. When I joined the organization, we had just crested 200 employees, and that was just about two and a half years ago. So we've been on some pretty pretty strong growth lately. But within that 420 employees, the vast majority is about two-thirds are our receptionist workforce. Our receptionists are um, divided into smallish teams, and they are primarily responsible for answering a set of customers' calls. Now, if they're not available, any other receptionist team can answer the calls for that customer. But, you know, there are teams of about seven or eight receptionists. They have a manager, which we call cultivators inside of Ruby. Again, even even the language you use to talk about jobs and roles can have an impact on the culture. So they each have a cultivator. The cultivators roll up to our site directors. We have two site directors. And they're responsible for those receptionist centers. And that that overall is about two-thirds of the company. The rest of the company is divided into some of your more traditional sides of things. We've got an operations side, which actually has our human resources and people management pieces in it, talent acquisition, performance management, all of that. Because for Ruby, the vast majority of our operations is people-based. And so right, we, right. Um, that sort of organization there. And they also look at what the employee experience is from beginning to end. So whether that's hiring, whether that's your desktop and your computer environment, while you're actually working at Ruby to how you get promoted and performance managed. And we have your standard finance. um, And that's actually where our business intelligence team lies. We do a lot inside of Ruby with creating dashboards and mining data to find insights and trends, both in our customers and how they use our service, but also in things like sales and how long it takes a lead when it comes in to when it closes based on where it came from and so forth. So that all resides with our finance team. And then probably similar to a lot of organizations, but with a slight curve is we have what we call the customer happiness team. And this team is really all about making sure our customers have the experience they need and setting them up for success. So some organizations will call that a customer success team, but we like to think about it as customer happiness. And we've got our problem solvers in that team and their responsibility is to troubleshoot and help customers if they have any challenges, either with their phone interaction or anything else. 
And that organization, along with our receptionist, that other two-thirds, they all work together because that organization, the customer happiness team, is also customer support. So they hear any problems, whether that's inaccuracies in what receptionists are doing or how we're handling their calls and so forth. So having those two teams roll up to our VP of service is really helpful to make sure that that information flows. Then there's my organization, and I've got the whole product development and infrastructure organization under me. So I have product management, user experience, software engineering, and infrastructure. You know, we're all part of the same team, all driving towards the same goals, which I think is really helpful when you think often about product and technology. And a lot of organizations can have competing priorities in terms of advancing the technology architecture and the stack versus customer-facing features. So by having it all together and having my job title be product and technology officer, we can all come together on what the right priorities are, and it makes for more seamless road mapping and prioritizing discussions. And then we have our sales and marketing team. And I think that that about does it. Okay. No, this is really, really helpful. And it's really interesting how this breaks down. And you, I mean, it makes a lot of sense that you can kind of see the interconnectivity. And I guess what I'm curious about is how this information is able to flow, you know, from that finance organization to the receptionist so that they're applying the insights as well as then on that product development side, how you're also getting the the human feedback from the receptionist, as well as the business intelligence from the finance, how were you able to have that seamless transition of information? Or is that a challenge that you're facing? That's actually a challenge, I would say, that we're facing. So I mentioned, you know, Ruby has grown from about 220 employees to 420 in the last two years. And mm-hmm. we're really, and we're 14 years old, and we're really in that awkward teenage phase, you know, the the things that worked for us when we were younger and smaller and scrappier, like SharePoint and Excel documents that everybody (laughs) it, you know, that stuff just doesn't scale when you've got more disciplines or more subject matter expertise and less people wearing all the same hats. And so we're in this process of trying to figure out like what still works for us that we can continue to bring forward, but what processes are no longer and systems are no longer scaling and are getting brittle. So that's actually a big focus for the organization this year and into next year is upgrading a lot of the systems that we use and then figuring out how to integrate them so that the data is uh, seamless across them and we can garner those insights. Right now, we do it a little bit with scotch tape and paper clips and some really good people people who can pull together this information from disparate systems. And we do a lot of things with like email boxes and, you know, actually idea boxes physically in the centers for people to put ideas into and so forth. But as we scale and grow, that won't work well. So that's actually one of the big challenges that as an organization as a whole, we're looking at tackling this year. And, and one one just specific example, that's not even just about customer data. On the employee side, we manually entered in employee names in five different systems for an employee. So as we were trying to report out things like receptionist um, productivity or receptionist timeliness or how often they were wowing our customers by providing a wow gift or a note card, we had a nightmare of a time reconciling names across those different systems. And so we've actually just about wrapping up a project internally to create our own 
central employee database where we enter the information once and it feeds all those other systems so that we can accurately represent that data in dashboards and help our employees grow and mind their own productivity and be accountable for their own performance in that way. But you don't really think about that. Oh, well, mm-hmm. just enter it here in the payroll system. And then you set them up over here for email. And oh, yeah, they came in through the you know applicant tracking or whatever it is. And before you know it, you've got people spelling like my name. Catherine has two A's. Well, maybe someone didn't know that and they spelled it with an A and an E and somebody else spelled it with a C. And, and it just perpetuates that challenge across the organization. So we've been really focusing on that. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I can. I mean, with all these systems, and as you grow at the scale, at the pace that you're growing, I can, I can understand how that can just amplify that challenge. And you'd mentioned kind of on the macro scale, focusing on updating and integrating. Obviously, that has really tight correlation to what you're working on on that product technology side. So I guess maybe getting more micro, what's your current primary focus to improve and why? As I mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation, I was brought in to help the organization overall get through technology projects more quickly and um, make it to the finish line. And a lot of that was on a recognition that to differentiate ourselves in the remote receptionist market, we had a mobile app. It wasn't Mm -hmm. great. (laughs) Um, It hadn't really been uh, worked on for about four years since it had been originally introduced. And if we wanted to continue to be the industry leader, we really needed to completely redo that application. And so my focus has really been on both the user experience of our customer-facing applications and getting those to be more seamless and really feel like a product um, or a productivity helper for our customers, um, as well as the underlying technology. A lot of our technology had been written by one or two people. And when you write technology, you know, five, six years ago by one or two people, you ended up with pretty monolithic technology stacks, which is fine and great and serves the purpose we need. But as we continue to scale, that monolithic approach was is brittle and it was going to break. And so we've also been focusing on completely re-architecting, or my focus has been completely re-architecting our back end, moving things into the cloud separating out the presentation layer from the business logic, from the data. So your good old, you know, MVC type of structure on things and uh, really setting us up so that as we grow, you know, currently just under 7,000 customers, as we grow to 10,000, 15,000 and 12,000, everything continues to work seamlessly. So my focus has been on those two pieces, really the customer facing technology, starting first with the mobile app, We've got that out. We've been working on making improvements to it. Now we're focusing on the customer-facing website while we're rebuilding everything that powers that behind the scenes. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would be an interesting conversation around the mobile app. And, and I had a chance to look into it. And it has a 3.5-star rating, which is not bad, but it's definitely not the Ruby experience you'd expect. And so I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, why, why do you think that is? Why are you know you either getting a five star experience and like looking at the ratings, you either get a lot of five stars or some one stars? What's that big difference caused by? That is an excellent question. And there's there's a couple of reasons for that. I think I'd say one of the biggest reasons was we did not evolve the app. We completely tore the thing down and rebuilt it. And so 
it was a pretty disruptive change for a fair number of our customers and wasn't in hindsight, hindsight's so great, not the best <laughs> approach. Sort of had one day it looked like this, you know, it was it was blue and gray and the next day it's pink and orange and nothing worked the way it had before. So it was a pretty, pretty big band-aid to rip off for a lot of our customers in that change management we just didn't handle very well. We also had a rough start. Um, I'm not going to lie. I think we learned a lot in doing that big project and we, were, we weren't fully staffed up. So we were relying on external help. And I think the integration of the external work, both on the design side and some of the development side with our internal work. And as we built up some of our internal design side practices, it could have gone better and it didn't. Um, and so we had to take the approach of what we call here, iterate to awesome. So <laughs> got it out. Um, we were able to, to get the foundation for it. And ever since then, we've been adding and improving and listening to what our customers say and making improvements along the way. And it's been, you know, there are times where I can look back and I can sort of, you know, do the face palm or the head head on my hand going, gosh, you know better than that. Why did you allow that to happen? But you get swept up in trying to make such large change that you can let those things go. I mean, two great examples on that were one of the main features we've updated was the idea of being able to set your status to override your call handling. So for example, Jordan, you would use the app right now to say, don't normally you have calls put straight through to you, but during this hour, while we're having this conversation, you would change your status to say, hold all my calls, just take a message or send a voicemail. And in the old app, it was pretty simple. You didn't have very much to, to be able to select. It was also not very clear. So some of the selections could mean what you thought them to mean, but they didn't mm. necessarily translate to how receptionists were handling it, but it seemed really simple and really easy. And so we moved to really expanding that out and giving customers a lot more options and ability to be a lot more specific about how they wanted things handled and provided receptionists with a lot more information. And we kind of went too far in that sort of high use case of sort of expert level status setting experience. And so that seemed great because we thought we were addressing a bunch of customer needs and there, you know, things weren't clear in the old app. This made things very explicit. You could be, you could have more options. And it seemed that we were addressing a lot of the pain points that we heard from customer and feedback that had been collected over the years. But the reality is we just went too far. And in interviewing one of our customers who is, so fantastic at providing us feedback and sort of being quite happy to tear us down, but also provide really good feedback. <laughs> he sort of summed it up to us about, you know, I need to be able to do this when I'm walking down the street. So you need to make it as easy for me to change that status that I can do it within a block and, you know, not get run over when I'm crossing the street. And that for us, um, you know, that was after we had launched it. And since then, we've made that kind of our mission. And we're on the verge of releasing a new version of the whole status section, which will simplify it and allow people to do simple one touch. Yes, you can do it while walking down the street. It's clear what it means. And it can help people out. So it's been an iterating to awesome experience. We've kind of simplified and heard from our customers and how they're actually using it. And it's been a great education, too. And I think sometimes we've got a little bit of the context of mobile. We've gotten so used to having it with us always ourselves. 
and having it, it, you know, mobile's really been moving into that multi-modality experience where you're, where you're not just on your mobile, you're on your mobile and your computer or your TV or something else. And mm-hmm. so I think we forgot a little bit about that. One of the main use cases for mobile still is that out and about in a hurry, needing a short, short way to do things when you're, when you don't have your full computer experience. So, you know, lots of good learnings from that. And uh, that's one of the things that we're continuing to work on and remind ourselves as we iterate the app and hopefully get to more of those five-star reviews and less of those (laughs) one-star reviews. Right. And I think you covered a lot of great insights here specific to the mobile app, as well as some of the challenges you're facing in the organization as a whole that you're trying to overcome this year with the updating and integrating of all of these systems. And I think it's really interesting how you even brought up at the beginning about mapping the journeys of the customer and the employee. And I think that shows through a lot right here of that transition that you're making with the app, making sure that the customer experience, the consumer facing experience of the app aligns with what's happening internally with the employee. And so you, you've mentioned some great things and transitions that you're making. I guess, given what we've talked about, what do you believe is that one thing that once you've figured it out and got it in place will allow you to scale to this next level? The one thing that's really remaining is the new customer facing website. And once we have the new customer-facing website, which includes all that underpinning technology, that plus the new mobile app, I think, give us that platform to really go deep on the customer journey and then see where and how those two pieces interact together, how they interact with our service, how they interact with how our customers are evolving and growing themselves and allow us to do other things that will help us scale. For example, and this goes back to kind of my my passion, what parts should we allow customers to self-serve for that would be so much more convenient for them and that they don't get a lot of benefit talking to someone on our customer happiness team. And if we find those right parts of the experience and can we have the platform between the app and the website to automate those or provide self-service, that means then that our customer happiness team can spend more time on those other parts of the experience, maybe figuring out better call handling for our customer or really helping them to get information out of the data that we're providing them and help our customers be more successful so they can spend more of their energy in that human connection on the parts that are going to deliver more value rather than the parts that sure they updated a name or they updated a phone number, which doesn't really give them much opportunity to help the customer out more broadly or add a ton of value. So so I think for, for me, it's finishing that second piece of the customer facing technology to bring it, the, which is the website, to bring it up to the same technology backend as well as customer facing design, branding, and functionality that the mobile app has. And then using those as my foundation to look for those places where automation and self-service are going to provide a better experience in the customer's journey and places where we can then take those freed up human resources and interject them back into the journey to provide better experiences at different points. Well, this is something we definitely want to keep tabs on, and I'll make sure to link to both the website and the mobile app in the show notes section for everyone to check out. But as far as us wanting to be proactive and keep tabs on your work, where should we go? Probably the Call Ruby site is a is a good one. I will say that I am just starting to dip my toe into being a little bit more prolific on LinkedIn and Twitter in terms of putting out some of the things that we're working on and some of the 
thinking that we're doing here at Ruby around these different areas, you know, whether it's the customer experience or the concept of iterating to awesome and how that can be a great way to go. So I'd say look for me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Those are good places to see what we're doing and, and how we're starting to share more of what we're doing here at Ruby with product and technology side with the outside world. Great. Yeah, I'll definitely link to both of those social channels uh, in the show notes. And then that's callruby.com. Is that right? That is correct. Great. Also, and make sure to tune in this Friday for a rapid fire round where Catherine will be sharing some of her most valuable resources. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today and sharing a lot about what you've gone through to get to this point and some of the things that you're focusing on. It sounds like you have some interesting challenges to face, and but you're you're well on your way to implementing these solutions. And I'm excited to see what happens once they're in place. So again, thank you for the time. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Jordan. I really enjoyed our conversation. Hey, thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in this Friday for this week's guest resources from our rapid fire question round. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. So visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.